Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today is part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter two. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. But the law was a great gift to the Jewish nation because since humanity was now disordered and our desires were disordered and we were ignorant about our own happiness, God gave us a guidebook out of love because human happiness is so important to God. And the words of Torah were meant to be a guide. The words of the law that God revealed to the faithful Jews and they strive to obey the law for their own happiness. Happy the man who follows the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. But as time passed, the Jewish hierarchy felt fences around the laws. The basic thinking was this. We do not want to violate the law of Torah. So if we create extra laws to protect the law of Torah and we obey these extra laws, then we will not even come close to disobeying the law. And so they created 613 commandments, 248 positive ones, 365 negative ones, 613 mitzvah laws. And instead of the law being a joy and a delight, the law became a heavy yoke, like a ball and chain weighing down the people. And the fallen people couldn't keep all the laws. And in his great mercy, God sent judges, 12 judges to Israel. But the people fell into continuous cycle of sin. The fallen people still couldn't do it even with judges. So in his great mercy, God sent all the prophets and the prophets were anointed. The Holy Spirit would fall on them and they would speak and God would speak through those prophets. But still, the fallen people still couldn't do it. Moses, the lawgiver, had prophesied that God would send a new prophet, one like Moses himself. I will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. You will heed him. I will raise up a prophet. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. Who was that prophet whom Moses promised? Jesus Christ. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So we might receive adoption as sons and live that divine life again. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And in the beginning with God, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness couldn't overcome it. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. So Torah, the words of the law that God revealed were made into human flesh. And in addition to the scroll to read, now God's word was encased in skin. Now God's word was a living person that people could follow. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So instead of a ball and chain weighing down the people, a heavy yoke, Jesus' word made flesh, his yoke is light and his words become eternal life for the 
people. Jesus becomes a new Moses. Moses's words were a guide, but Jesus's words are eternal life. And in John 6, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. He gave us bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. My father gives you the bread, the true bread from heaven. I, I am the bread of life. And after this difficult discourse that they would have to actually eat his flesh and drink his blood. Most of them left. They couldn't handle this teaching. And Jesus said to the 12, will you also go away? And Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus was a new Moses. Moses' words were a guide, but Jesus' words are eternal life. He's the Deuteronomy 18, 18 prophet Moses predicted. And Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will not cast out. And there's a big theme about repenting and believing. And Paul comes down hard on disorder, especially of sexual sin and all the other sin in Romans chapter 1, because all all sin is disorderment, not what God intended for humanity. But how did Jesus, the word made flesh, how did Jesus handle sexual sin? Well, we see in John 4, there's a woman caught in sexual sin. She's caught in adultery. She's had five husbands, six husbands. She's on her sixth husband. Did Christ condemn her? Fotina. We see another woman in John chapter 8. She's caught in the sexual sin of adultery. Did Christ condemn her? One harlot is from the north. Remember the divided kingdom? The other harlot is from the south. These are symbolic that all God's people were guilty of idolatry. Both women, one from the northern kingdom of Samaria, one from the southern kingdom, capital city of Jerusalem, are caught in disordered sexual sin, sin outside of marriage, unchastity. Does Jesus condemn them? Both sins are brought into the light of Christ, the eternal uncreated light of Christ. It's high noon at the well, and it's early in the morning with the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast, to throw a stone at her. Who does Jesus condemn in the Bible? Remember, don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. Who he condemns are the judges. Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus said to the crowds, to the disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, and that means death to you. Death to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Paul was one of those Pharisees who was doing just that. Remember the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. They cast Stephen out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses all laid down their garments at the feet of a young Pharisee, a young man, a very zealous man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In Stephen's last word, in his last breath, he is praying for Saul of Tarsus. And Saul, that zealous Pharisee, laid waste the church. He entered house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Saul was still breathing threats of murder, 
against the disciples of the Lord. He intentionally goes to the high priest seeking letters to go to the synagogues at Damascus so that he could find anyone belonging to the way, men or women, and he might bring them back, bound in chains, back to Jerusalem to stand trial, possibly death. Did Stephen judge and condemn Saul and his murderers? No. Stephen says, Lord, do not, do not hold this sin against them. What kind of mercy is that? Did Jesus condemn and judge his own murderers and innocent death on the cross? Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. It's not condemnation, it's mercy. To condemn someone is a very, very serious thing. It's the condemnation to the resurrection of eternal death. Have you ever felt condemned by someone? Have you ever felt condemnation? Condemnation is not for other sinful humans to deliver. Don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. You can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. That's an old proverb, not in the Bible. You'll catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. What's that mean? Divine mercy, love, will win more souls than condemnation ever will. Leave the judging to God. God has left the judging to Jesus. He gave him the authority to judge. And the harshest words of Jesus in all the New Testament are directed to the Jewish authorities who are judging others while they themselves are internally corrupt. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe mint and deal and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier manners of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The most gravitas, the weightier matters of the law, according to Jesus Christ, are justice, mercy, and faith. Belief. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Woe to you, death to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but instead they are full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and of the plate that they may, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but they are full of dead men's bones and uncleanly. So you also outrightly appear righteous to men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Those are the heaviest words Jesus has in the Bible. Right after that, he goes out and he laments. He cries over the city of Jerusalem, the holy city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who sent you. How often, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know that happened on Palm Sunday a few days later. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and they will kill him. The bottom line, my friends, is Jesus is the judge. He has come to judge he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom is eternal. It has no end. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, whoever you are, when you judge another. For in passing judgment upon him, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same 
thing. Paul had been a great judger in his past life until the divine mercy of the risen Christ became word made flesh to Paul. Paul has a personal encounter with the resurrected living Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and Paul was blinded by the uncreated light of divine mercy, not by condemnation. Listen what Jesus says. A light flashes from heaven. He falls to the ground. He hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus is not condemning him. He's just asking him a simple question. Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? When you persecute my bride, Saul, you're persecuting me because Jesus is one flesh with the church. He's the head and we are the body. You persecute his bride, you persecute him. Even with this self-righteous Pharisee, Jesus was gentle and merciful. This is mercy. This mercy is a truth of God. The psalmist tells us the Lord is merciful merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Oh Lord, you are a God of mercy. You're merciful and gracious. Peter, our Pope says, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should receive repentance. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost, Jesus' own words. They who are whole have no need for a physician, said Jesus. But they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You will catch a lot more flies with honey than with vinegar. Jesus will catch more human fish with love than with condemnation. And so would the apostles. Peter, do you love me? Does that sound like condemnation? After Peter's messed up three times in denying him, Peter, do you love me? Jesus will catch more human fish with love than, which condemn, than with condemnation. And so will we, my friends. Tell the truth, but in greatest gentleness and with great love. Yes. Now, how about this phrase, love the sinner, but hate the sin? This is not a scripture, love the sinner, but hate the sin. That is not found anywhere in the Bible. It'd be like saying this, I hate rape, but I love the rapist. I hate stealing, but I love bank robbers. Does that sound genuine? Love the sinner, but hate the sin? Even better, love the sinner, but hate your own sin. How about just love, just love? This phrase is usually used for those engaging in sexual sin. I hate that my daughter is living with her fiance, but I love my daughter. I hate the sinful acts of gay people, but I love gay people. Do you really love gay people? Really? Have you invited any gay people over for dinner lately? Have you invited a gay person to go to mass with you? If you live in a city big enough, there might be a parish that's welcoming to gay people. You are blessed to find that church if you are gay. Pope Francis said the church must always keep its doors open so that no one is excluded from God's mercy. Francis said, I prefer that homosexuals come to confession, that they stay close to the Lord and that we all pray together. You can advise them to pray, show goodwill, show them the way and accompany them along it. <laughs> Pope was made Pope March 13th of 213 and asked the Pope Francis would fly as a head of state. And he is the spiritual leader of 1.3 billion Catholics around the world. Pope Francis uh, would speak off the cup and other popes before him did not do that. So it was new for us. Other popes also didn't ride buses very often and they didn't take public transportation. Other popes wore red leather Prada shoes and Francis preferred his old black leather shoes. And instead of a luxurious papal apartment that 
previous popes enjoyed over the years, Francis intentionally chose to reside in a simple apartment called St. Martha's House. He enjoys eating with homeless people. He enjoys visiting with immigrants. And Francis enjoys and jokes with journalists on the papal airplane. And this was very unusual for a pope. Francis even sits among journalists on the plane, visiting with them as human beings. He'll take on any question. He's not afraid of questions. He's not afraid to ask them to speak on the plane. And on this flight to the Holy Land, Francis was joking with journalists saying, I come like Daniel or a lamb among you. I, I know the lions don't bite and therefore I come in peace. As it can get contentious when he's speaking with journalists and then the papers come out when they get off the plane. The Pope will discuss anything, death penalty, nuclear arms, immigration, environment. Nothing is off the table for discussion with him. And in July of 213, early in his pontificate, he was flying home from Brazil and he made a decision to hold a news conference on the 12-hour flight home from Rio de Janeiro. His aides had suggested and canceled him against it. He was tired, but he said, no, I will take questions. He took questions from reporters traveling abroad on the papal airplane. He took questions for 81 straight minutes with no filters, no limits, and nothing off the record. And during that time, he stood the entire time. He was tired. He answered with no notes. Uh, he never refused to take a single question. The last question was an especially delicate one about charges of homosexual conduct against his recently appointed delegate to reform the Vatican Bank. Not only did Francis answer the question, but he thanked the reporters for the question. And the Pope answered the question with a question, who am I to judge? That went viral early in his pontificate. He would explain it uh, in writing in 216. And he said, on that occasion, I said, if a person is gay and seeks out the Lord and is willing, who am I to judge that person? The Pope says, I was paraphrasing by heart the catechism of the Catholic Church, where it says these people should be treated with delicacy and not be marginalized. I am glad that we are talking about homosexual people because before all else comes the individual person in his wholeness and his dignity. People should not be defined only by their sexual tendencies. Let us not forget that God loves all his creatures and we are destined to receive his infinite love. I prefer homosexuals come to confession, that they stay close to the Lord, that we all pray together, said Francis. And asked whether there was an opposition between truth and mercy or doctrine and mercy, the pontiff responded, I will say this, mercy is real. It is the first attribute of God. Theological reflections on mercy may follow, but let us not forget that mercy is doctrine, says the Pope. Even so, I love saying mercy is true. Mercy is true. One of Pope Francis's favorite things, and then he will write Misericordiae Voltas, the face of mercy, a papal bull, and he will call for an extraordinary jubilee of mercy, an extraordinary jubilee in 216 on mercy. He opened those holy doors to begin the extraordinary jubilee of mercy and said that the church must always keep its doors open to exclude no one from the mercy of God. Just last week, just last week, as we were studying Romans 1, Pope Francis said to parents of LGBT children, God loves your children as they are. The church loves your children as they are because they are the children of God. And so, my friends, we will leave the judging to God. 
the church will leave the judging to God. The vicar of Christ on earth will leave the judging to God. As St. Paul has instructed us today in Romans 2, you will catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, leading with mercy over condemnation. Our catechism does the exact same thing. The moral law does not come until part three of the catechism, three-fourths of the way in. The catechism doesn't begin with the moral law. There's four parts to it. First, it's faith. And then it's me. It, it's it's the celebration of the Christian mystery, uh, the sacrament of the mass, especially all the seven sacraments and the grace that flows from them. And then we get into life in Christ, living the moral life, followed by a life of prayer to help sustain that. So the church never will declare that someone is in hell, but the church will declare that there are saints in heaven. But the church will never declare that someone is in hell. That's judging. That's for God. That's for Jesus Christ. He's the judge. And mortal sin, I want you to know, must meet three conditions, three conditions that must be met. Mortal sin has to be grave matter. It has to be committed with full knowledge and with deliberate consent. So we look at Jesus in the gospels, grave matter of adultery. Yes. An encounter eye to eye, face to face with the face of mercy himself. And then came the invitation to follow and have new life in Christ and give witness to that. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. That song, I never understood it, but I understood it now that we lead with mercy. Jesus loves us first. And then in that invitation, we choose to love him back. He loves her first, extends his mercy, and then she loves him. Paul goes on, or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness? and forbearance and patience. It's very dangerous to presume on God. There is a heresy right now, once saved, always saved, that is a presumption of something it never says in the Bible. We don't presume on the, rich, on, on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience of God. Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We certainly see that in this story of the woman caught in adultery. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Paul goes on, but by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteousness, God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Look at that impenitent heart. It's hard and impenitent. I looked up impenitent in the dictionary, not feeling shame or regret about one's actions or attitudes. Hard and impenitent heart juxtaposed with a soft heart, a heart that is kind and compassionate and soft and ready to repent, able to repent. An example in the Bible, the Pharaoh of Egypt, when we studied the Exodus, had a very, very hard heart and his heart was hardened against the God of Moses. And with each of the progressive 10 plagues that came his way, his heart grew more and more and more hardened toward Moses's God. It hardened his heart. And by the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn son of Pharaoh. He relented, but did he ever repent? He relented. He allowed the Israelite slaves to leave Egypt, go, get out, be gone. But then he quickly changed his mind with his impenitent heart, and he went after them with full military force and ends up in the bottom of the Red Sea. By your, by your hard, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. For he will render to every man according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are factious and do not obey the truth, but obey wickedness, there will be wrath and fury. What a freedom it is for us that we don't have to be the judge. We can leave the judging to God. It's his job. So don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you. 
than me, Sharon Doran. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. How refreshing that is and how often we don't see that. What's partiality? Unfair bias in favor of one thing or one person compared with another, favoritism. Did we see any partiality last year in our Genesis study? Well, Israel had 12 sons, but Israel showed great partiality to one particular son. You know, Joseph in the coat of many colors. Israel's partiality led to great jealousness, even attempted murder. And at the end of Jacob's life, he dies. Joseph's brothers also came and fell down before Joseph and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Joseph knew he was not the judge. Am I in the place of God? No, he's not going to judge his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. He reassured them and he comforted them. So Joseph's great kindness led his brothers to a deeper repentance. Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul will tell the Galatians about it. The fruit of the Spirit, one of them is kindness. Another one is gentleness. Joseph also showed that. Paul goes on, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There again, God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, the judge. And remember, that word was made flesh, and Jesus will reveal the thoughts out of many hearts. Jesus is the judge. That was way foretold by the Holy Spirit falling on Simeon when he said Jesus is going to be the one. His word, this word is going to judge the hearts of many. God judges the secrets of men, the deepest secret intentions of the heart by Jesus Christ. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So he's saying you better walk the walk. I looked that phrase up. It's to suit one's action to one's words. Your words and your actions better match up. You better walk the walk. You better talk the talk. You better walk the talk and talk the walk. Don't judge someone just because they sin differently than you do. Don't lead with condemnation. Lead with mercy. 
and we will catch a lot more fish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, righteous judge, holy judge, just judge. Thank you that you are the judge and we aren't the judge. Thank you for teaching me that this week so profoundly. I'm sorry, Lord, when I've judged, when I've judged the sins of others without looking into the mirror of my own sins, my different sins that are no better. Thank you that you are the judge and thank you that you are the face of the Father's mercy and that you don't condemn and you haven't come to condemn the world, but to save the world by your word, which is the standard of truth for us to live by. Happy the man, happy the woman who follows the way of the Lord. Amen. That was part two of Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 2 on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.